Welcome to the Thrive Church Podcast. Listen anytime you miss a service or want to hear a message again from our Sunday worship services and select special services. Lead Pastor Brian Bauer, as well as guest speakers, will bring messages that will help you encounter God, love people. Join us for virtual service on Facebook Live at Encounter Thrive. Or for those comfortable, we'd love to have you for our in-person services Sundays at 10. To learn about us, what we believe, how to connect, how to give, or how to find us, visit the all-new EncounterThrive.com. And now, here is our message. Welcome to Disco Sunday. Oh, come on. It's more exciting than that. Disco Sunday. Yes. Oh, outside of Christmas, the best day of the year. Uh, so we are super pumped. I am super, this is our first time doing this. And for those who came just for today in a free competition, thank you. We are glad you're here. Um, I will be in it. I will not win. And even if I could win, I could not win. So... Uh, I will be throwing, but I am not that good. Uh, I play with Tim fairly regularly, and, uh, and every time I learn a lot, and I'm really embarrassed. So looking forward to today, we have been talking about the book of Titus, uh, and the book of Titus is a book in the New Testament. We're just going to keep talking about that. How long does I talk for? As long as the music? About the same. And then, and then you can go and enjoy some hot dogs and and compete, but uh, we set this all up every Sunday. We tear it all down every Sunday. You may be surprised. This is not our building and not our gym, so uh, we rent it. We're saving towards a building, but we're glad you're here. Uh, we'd love to get to know you more. If you want to come back, we'd love to have you. So here's the thing about the book of Titus. It's this letter to this church, uh, specifically a guy named Titus from Paul. It's in the New Testament part of the Bible, and it's this letter to him about this church uh, that's in the town and city of Crete. It's actually where we get the term Cretan. You guys remember that old insult from way back, Cretan? I don't think I've ever used it in my lifetime. I think I saw it as an insult on like the Barney Miller show when I was a kid or something. Some of you are like, who's Barney? Is that a talk show? No, but just hang with us. Nick at night, you might catch it on a rerun at like 2 a.m. So that's what it's about. And last week we talked, what did it mean? What did it mean then? Uh, who was it for? And it was, he talks to Titus. Paul writes to Titus and the church. This is what it looks like to be a man or a woman of God, to be a leader. And then this chapter, he follows up again on, on correcting things that are wrong. And so much of it is about what we believe. So like, this is, this is actually my putting tee. These are my discs, Okay. And, and I'm okay, right? I'm okay. So this is, this is a gift, actually. He's, where are you, buddy? Josh, right there. This is a gift from Josh. It's my tactic. This is a very good putter for when uh, there's wind and I need to drive it a little farther. But it's, 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 uh, it's, not, it's not my best putter for me. But I'm not bad, like, right there. Yeah, no. I, anybody who plays disc golf, you're like, why are you clapping? Because um, it's not that impressive. But... But I'm, I'm okay at a few feet out. And then when I get, like, if I grab all my putters, and if you don't know, there's different, there's different discs. There's some of our church people are like, You're, is this golf golf? Like, we don't call it froth. We don't do that. This is not a Frisbee. All right? So, okay. And so putters, yeah, there's drivers, there's mid-range, there's di- uh, and, and putters, okay, and they're, they're made different. All right? If I get a little further out and I put again, 
I'm doing okay. But if I keep going, like I get, I get pretty far out. See, now then I'm not doing as good. And if I go even further, maybe. Ah, uh, see, that one always does pretty well for me. But if I get like way out there, okay, and then I drive it, I can hit it. And if I get somebody, you know what I'm talking about when you get just way at like, oh, look, I could get a two if I sink it from here. Let's pray. <laughs> I'm kidding. But if I sometimes, oh, come on. That is amazing. See, it's the microphone that kept me from choking today. Because <laughs> when you all just have to sit and listen to me, I feel more confident. But, but if, I'm, if I'm like in a tournament in like an hour and it's on the line, I have a great history of choking. <laughs> I just, when it, sports, you may look at me and think, that guy's good at sports. And I would think, you probably need glasses. Because this is, this is not that, I, can, I could wrestle you and win, but I, I probably could not outrun you, okay? Some of you I could outrun just, you know, breathing-wise, I could breathe longer. But most of you will be faster than me. I choke sometimes when it's on the line like that in sports. I have a history of it. I'm excellent. I had one year in Little League of a batting average of zero. The whole season, the only thing I hit was fouls or if I got in front of the ball, that is the only time I'm, a whole season, you can ask my parents, it was, I mean, they really should have wrote it down somewhere. It was amazing. Uh, I was terrible, like it just wasn't, now I've gotten better and better at this goal, but part of it has to do with in that moment, in that moment of crunch, it really is what you believe. Because what we believe in that moment, right, the more comfortable I am, the more confident I am, the better I am. And the less comfortable and the less confident I am, the worse I am. What you believe in a moment when it counts makes a big difference. And he's writing this letter to Titus. And here's what he says in chapter 2, verse 1 through 15. He says, you, and he's talking to Titus, you must teach whatever is appropriate to sound doctrine. Teach the older men to be temperate, which means balanced. Worthy of respect, self-controlled, sound in faith and in love and endurance. Likewise, teach older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to too much wine, but teach what's good. Then they can urge the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, be busy at home, to be kind and be subject to their husbands so that no one will malign the word of God. Now, some of you right there are like, oh, to one of those churches. Here we go. Take a deep breath. We're going to talk about it. It doesn't probably mean what you think it means, okay? You won't see any goats here, any blood covenants. Everybody relax. Jesus did that. That's done, okay? Let's keep going. All right. So then, similarly, encourage the, uh, the young men to be self-controlled in everything set an example by doing what's good. In your teaching, show integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned, so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. Teach slaves to be subject to their masters in everything. Try to please, the, uh, try to please them, not to talk back to them, not to steal from them, but to show that they can be fully trusted so that in every way they'll make the teaching about God our Savior attractive. Some of you are like, oh, see, the Bible endorses slavery. It does not. <laughs> Hang in there. We're going to talk about it. It doesn't mean what you think it means. All right? 
For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in the present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, for, for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what's good. These then are the things you should teach. Encourage and rebuke with all authority. Don't let anyone despise you. So let's pray real quick. God, I pray that you just bless your word today and that it would be your words and not mine. Speak and have your way in this place. Change us where we need to be changed. Encourage us where we need to be encouraged. And may your name be lifted up. Bless us this afternoon. Let us have a great time. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So he starts with what we believe. Or another version says protect or, or uh, protect sound doctrine. What we believe, what we believe is doctrine. Doctrine is what we believe. Okay, some of you are like, I don't like talking about doctrine and things like that. The truth is we all believe something. And even your lack of belief or refusal to recognize what you believe, that's what you believe. Right? Some of us, like, when it comes to food, like, "Uh, you know, I don't really pay attention to what I eat. But you still have a diet, (laughs) you know? I've known some students over the years who, like, all they ate was mac and cheese and pasta and, and plain cheeseburgers with nothing on it. And I just always think, you should be fatter. <laughs> Why am I like this? What? You know, they look anorexic. Like, what happened? And how did this happen for you? Now, that being said, they have a diet. They don't think about it, but they have one. You and I have doctrine. Even if you don't think about it, it is what we believe. And Paul's writing to Titus in that church saying, you need sound doctrine. Everybody has belief, but not everybody has the right belief. Everybody sincerely believes some things, but not everybody is right. You can sincerely believe something and be sincerely wrong. I can sincerely believe I can fly. And if I jumped off this building, I'd be sincerely wrong. You know? I can sincerely believe one day I'm going to make it to the NBA. And someday, somebody in this room would be like, oh, Brian, you're so wrong. Several years ago, we had two guys from England stay with us, one from London, one from Wales. And they would come over and they'd teach these soccer camps to kids. And, uh, as they're, and we hosted them, so we got the soccer camps for free. And one of the guys, so in England... Uh, we, we're like, so are you pro? He's like, well, I, I already kind of am pro. And I said, really? What, 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 how come I've never heard of you? What team do you play for? And he said, well, you haven't heard of my team. In England or in Britain, there's seven levels of pro soccer, which I'm just like, man, what a boring country. But he <laughs> gets to that, and, and, and he says, the seven levels. Of what level are you? Well, I'm number four. Uh, and that's as high as I'll ever go. I'll never get to one number one. And we're like, man, why say that? Go for your dreams, buddy. You can do it. Come on. Take the hill. You know, and he, the, him and the other English guys, we say this, just laugh at us. And they're like, You're, you guys are so American. <laughs> and they're like, what? what do you, he goes, 
because I'm not 6'5", I'm not black, I'm not built, I'm not any of these things. I'll never, we accept that in my country. We accept our limitations. I've made it pretty far. I'm very happy with it. This is it. See, he had a sound belief about who he was and what he could do and also understood, I can't do that. We all have beliefs of what we can and cannot do. And some of them are sincerely right and some of them are sincerely wrong. We all have doctrines about God but they may or may not be right. You believe something about God, and even if you have a lack of belief, that's what you believe. Everybody has doctrine, we just don't know it. An atheist, somebody's like, well, I'm an atheist. Okay, that's your religion. No, no, I don't, I'm anti-religion. Right, anti-religion is your religion. See, whether you want to see it or not, your lack of belief is a belief. If all of humanity across the globe for the last 10,000 years of recorded history of a people can read and see that we have spirituality and we all know there's got to be something more than just what we see and feel and can measure, our current arrival at none of that's true and really that's only been a popular belief for about a hundred years. Which either means we've ascended something that none of humanity has, or we're just at a place of incredible arrogance. And I think it's the latter. We have a, an agnostic says, well, I don't know what I believe. That's a belief. You've chosen to say, I don't know. When you actually can know. Right? So then he goes on to say, Here's how I want you to behave as men and women. See, what we believe informs how we behave. We begin to act it out. Right? The person who basically has been in and out of jail seven times, their belief somewhere in their life led to that place. You got there. It wasn't just like, whoops, I'm in jail again. Now, you had a succession of decisions over and over that you chose to believe and things you didn't want to believe till you got there. That's what happened. Right? I'm right about something or I'm wrong or I'll never be this or I'll always be that. And he goes on to say, men should live like this. Men should have sound doctrine, temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled. And honestly, that sounds a lot like a real man, doesn't it? Women, am I right? You want to be with a real man who is self-controlled, balanced, doesn't fly off the handle, shows up, works. Am I right? There's a few women who are like, yes, and the rest of you probably need counseling because you're dating the worst people. Okay? So th- that is that's, that, what the Bible defines here. Like This is what a man looks like. Responsibility is the essence of masculinity. It isn't like, oh, I like guns. If you like guns, good for you. You don't have to like guns to be a man. That's not what it is. You don't have to bench 500 pounds to be. No, no, no. Responsibility and integrity and being somebody of your word and, and, and balance and saying this far and no further, that's what a man looks like. That is a man. The guy who's like, well, I stayed up till 7 a.m. playing Halo and then I think I'll call in sick today. My eighth time this week, I'm calling in sick, which is a weird week. But, like, that's not manhood. 
And what he spells out there, most women would want to be with. But that is, what he's pointing out there is, he's saying, this is what a man of God looks like, because this is a lot of like what God looks like. The first chapter, last week we talked, God is not a man that he should lie. And men of God stop being liars. We tell, we tell the truth. We live in truth. And we live truthfully enough so that we don't feel we can't tell the truth. Real men hold the line. We see we have this cultural lie right now. And this cultural lie is men need women, but women don't need men. It's just not true. It's both ways. Men do need women. Thank God. So many things would smell so bad. I lived in a college dorm. Man, there were so many demons we cast out of that place by the time we were done. It's just horrible. And then, and, but it's the other way too. Some women would be like, I don't need a man to protect me. Okay, you may not. But at some point in your life, covering, partnership, safety, and somebody looking out for you, you may find that's a really good thing. You may find somebody, a man who says, I, and that's actually what the Bible requires of men and husbands. While it does say things like the husband's the head and, and the wife, you need to kind of be with him. It also says things like, husbands, you lay down your life like Christ did for the church. Which is a way higher standard and very few men actually try and live up to. It's our job. Real men lay down their lives for their bride. And then it goes on to, to, say, to say, women, here's, women, don't slander, don't get drunk, should teach younger women. First, right there, that's different. You need to realize that this time, women were like second-class citizens, and Paul is saying, we need women teaching and leading. This is at a time women were not allowed to do this at all. See, we're all corrupted in our cultural age by first, second, and third waves of feminism that have now basically robbed women of all personality. Literally, we have to ask a question right now, what's a woman? And if you can't answer that question, it's, it, it's, it's, not, it's because somebody has made you afraid to know what is plainly true. You know who you are. You know what you're meant to be. And God designed you that way, and it's awesome and beautiful. And you don't have to be ashamed of it. You also don't have to beat somebody else up with it. That's not what we're here for. But to, to begin to say, like, nurturing is far more in the heart of a woman than it is a man. Doesn't mean a man can't be nurturing. Doesn't mean a woman can't be a protector. We know those are both true. Okay? There's crossover. We're just talking about norms. It's bit, literally, a woman has a superpower to grow a person inside of her and then feed that person. That's like the only superpower we really have. Men don't have any of that. It's amazing. It's, when, when, our, when our first son was born, my wife, like, she knew what to do. And I was like, you're just going to send us home? Like, I don't know what to do with this thing. He screams a lot, and I'm pretty sure I broke him. Like... But she knew, she was like, we'll, we'll be fine. She just wanted to stay in the hospital to sleep more. But I was like, no, I want to stay here because I, I'm not sure what's going to happen. I, like, I don't know anything. It was built in. 
the ability to nurture, right? Without a biblical worldview, genders do fall apart. It doesn't mean a woman has to be, a woman can't work. It doesn't mean a woman doesn't lead. My wife leads in numerous areas of our home. She is truly, I mean, way more over the finances. She's, and she's way better at them, too. Um, she, she's, she's in charge of our kids' education. Uh, she, and numerous other things. Design. Like, I'd be like, it's white. It's fine. Like, just leave it. I don't understand. But she gets college dorm, not a great way to live. I don't. But there's trade off And everybody's different. And everybody's unique. Right? And there are some things, like, can my wife carry her own luggage? You bet. But I don't let her. Now, I don't force her to hand it to me either. I'm not a psycho. All right? <laughs> but just honor. Honor. Character. All right, keep moving on. What we believe informs, and then he talk, begins to talk about just family. What we believe also informs what we're beholden to. So there are literally political groups in our country right now. I don't name them because I'm not here to attack them. But there are literally political groups in our country right now that say or have said, we want to destroy the nuclear family. I'm like, what? What is happening? Why? Because at some point, we have a belief of something that's in control. And if a mother and a father are over their children, then somebody else can't be. How many of you are like, I'd really like the school to make decisions for my kids? Anybody who's like, yes, so much. I don't even want to name him. <laughs> like, I, if that's you, like, stay, we can pray with you. But most people are not that way, right? You want the school to serve you and your family, not the other way around. But because we are leaving basic understandings of this is what humanity is, this is what, who we're meant to be, the family's God's design, not ours. It's not just some natural, it's not a white idea, it's not a, it's not a European idea, it's not, even, it's not even a Judeo-Christian idea, it's a God idea. It's his design. Now, don't get me wrong. If you're like, man, I, I'm divorced, my family's broken, I'm, I'm a single parent, God still loves you and he still loves your family and he still has a plan. We understand brokenness happens and life happens. We get it. We know that. Some of the best people here at Thrive are single parents. We know. Some of us are married and it isn't going all that awesome, you know. It is here. I'm not pointing at me. All right. <laughs> it's, but what we're beholden to, what, what matters, what do you value? Because what you believe is what you value. We'll say, I love my kids. Then you believe in family. You believe in something. And why do you believe in family and love your kids? Well, it's just natural. No, it's more than that. It's supernatural. It's the imprint of God. Because God, God loves you that much. How you feel about your kids, God feels the same way, except infinitely and perfectly. There's no day God wants to kill you. <laughs> there are days with your children, you know, you, you don't entertain it, but you're, for a moment, you're like, would anybody know? <laughs> you know, you just, you just wonder for a second. Would anybody? All right. 
You go back to verse 2 and look at a man, what we value. Some of us value marriage between a man and a woman. We value it. It's not any form of ism or phobia. No, no, no. It's a God design. See, I treasure my wife and I would lay my life down for her. And she has done the same for me over and over. And I want to keep doing it till the day I, I want to cross the finish line of life and say I was hers till the day I died. Doesn't mean we didn't mess up. Doesn't mean uh, there wasn't moments where we struggled in marriage. Of course, that's what a marriage is. But we cross the finish line. But I'm beholden to that, and so is she because of what we believe. Verse 6 to 8, it begins to talk about self. Similarly, encourage those young women be self controlled, everything, set an example, show your integrity, seriousness, soundness of speech, so it can't be condemned. Because what we believe informs who we become. Some of you, man, you don't know what you believe and you don't know how you got where you are. Or you think, well, I'm pretty good, but I'm not great. You can be, but not on your own. Who are you becoming and how are you getting there? See, I don't, some of you are like, well, I believe I'm awesome. I'm amazing. And like somebody next to you would be like, yeah, we know what you think of yourself. <laughs> right? But what about the person who, most of us, Jesus even said, look, I didn't come to heal the healthy. If you think you're awesome and you need no help, you're not ready for Jesus. That's the truth. That's not me being a jerk. Jesus himself said it. If you think you don't need help, you're probably not going to get it. But for those of us who realize, I can't do this alone. I can't change. I need Jesus to change me. I can't change my own life. I can't make better decisions. I can't fix my marriage. I can't fix my finances. I can't. But we have watched God do that in our lives and in this church over and over and over. They're not here this week. There's literally a couple this week on the verge, and God, bam, steps in, and their lives are changed, and their marriage is being restored. That's what God does. He can, and he does. Some of you are not the parent you want to be. And you're like, I keep trying. Maybe you need to stop trying and start surrendering and saying, Jesus, I need you to make me who I can become. I can't do it. I'm bad at it. Have you ever tried getting good at something and you never get good at it? And you're like, well, I've just accepted. I'm a compulsive gambler. <laughs> That's not a thing to accept. <laughs> And the Lord wants to change you and redeem your life. I'm not talking about Christians don't become perfect people. They become redeemed people, which is way better. Nobody in this room has it all together except Jesus. So we don't become perfect, but we start being perfected. He begins to change our lives and our hearts and our thinking patterns, what we believe. He begins to change our hearts. 
See, some people read that scripture about slavery and they think, oh, see, the Bible endorses slavery. Well, you need to know a couple things. First, slavery in that time is not like slavery that was in America 100 or 200 years ago. Slavery in that time was because they didn't have a credit system. There weren't credit cards. And so what you had to do is you had to go to somebody wealthier than you or a friend or a family member or just somebody you knew and say, I need this money. I need to live. How do I do it? And you would, they would basically say, we're going to extend this amount of money to you and you're going to work for me. It was basically indentured servanthood. But there were some people who took advantage of that system and treated those people cruelly because they were indebted to them and they were stuck. And Paul is saying, don't treat them that way and treat with honor in both directions. Those who owe you and those who are owed to you. Treat them with honor. Actually, I would argue it's the beginning of the upending of slavery as a mindset. It started with Jesus. The only person we become a slave to is Jesus. But Paul and God also know there's a system in this world, and he has to break it down gradually. None of us arrive overnight. So in this case, we've got slavery, and it's a problem. But Paul's saying the way we're going to break this down isn't by throwing over your master, but by beginning to learn honor and servanthood and love from them to you and you to them. And all of this is eventually somebody's going to say, you know what, I'm just going to forgive this. You don't owe me anything. Because once you begin to know Jesus, honor starts in your heart. And you begin to realize, I can forgive everybody for everything. Nobody owes me anything anymore. Because he paid the debt for me that nobody could pay. He paid that debt. See, when we become to figure out what we believe, our behavior and our thought patterns begin to change. It informs who we become, and our hearts begin to grow different. He closes with the grace of God appeared to all salvation, to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness, worldly passions. While we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us. So I grew up in this area. I'm going to close with this. Where I grew up here, I grew up in church. If I'm, I'm going to tell you my story quick. I didn't grow up a drug addict. I didn't grow up addicted to alcohol. I didn't grow up in a broken home. But here's what I did have. At the age of nine, I had this short little window of rebellion in my life, you know, from like eight to nine. And it was just like that age of reason. You start making decisions for yourself, not doing everything your parents say, not doing everything uh, your friends, and like, I like this. And I started listening to some music that was good and some music that was not so good. And, and I remember one night at church, I started swearing, but I was like nine, so I didn't know how to swear, and I would just like insert words in random places. It was pretty stupid. <laughs> and then from there, one night, a speaker came to our church. I remember where I was, where I was sitting. And it's, it's a long story, but 
That night, the Holy Spirit got a hold of me and I ran to the altar. I knew I was a sinner and I needed a savior. Nobody made me go. And for the first time in my life, I even put my hands up just to worship the Lord. And I felt God's presence on me. I knew he was there in that room and with me. And, and that's really where it kind of began. Because it's like a switch went off. You see, when you give your heart to Jesus, a target goes on your back. Because as, as real as Jesus is, the, the devil is real. And he's looking to destroy our lives. And from that day on, the bullying in my life began at a merciless merciless rate. From the age of like third or fourth grade through eighth grade, every day of my life I was bullied severely. Sometimes for my faith, sometimes for my weight, and sometimes for just being alive. Kids would jump me, kids would beat me up. Kids would throw me in lockers. Even among the loser kids, I was like the last And I felt like it. And I knew that Jesus loved me, but it felt like very almost nobody else does. And over those years, I remember coming home. And my mom would pull me in and she'd talk to me about forgiving, about loving people who were sinners who didn't know any better. Because they don't know Jesus. And they don't understand that what they hate in you isn't you. They hate the light in you because they're lost. So very rare in my life did I fight back because I understood they're gone. They don't know Jesus. They don't understand. But at the same time, I'm wrestling with, I don't want to live. I hate this life. God, why would you do this to me if I come to follow you? What's wrong with me? Am I a loser? Am I just a fat nobody who doesn't deserve love or respect? And the Lord would keep his hand on my life and keep his hand on my life and say, hey, I'm with you. Let me change you. Let me mold you. Let me shape you. And man, did he ever. He began to give me value and purpose. And when the world said you have no value, the God of the universe said, I love you and I'm with you. Let me change you. I'm going to never leave you. And eventually in my life, it began to turn. It began to change. And I moved from a person who was constantly running to a person that would say, let's run to the darkness and let's tell them about Jesus. I began to be a person who felt like he made no impact to being a person who feels like somebody wants to listen to what I have to say. See, that's what Jesus can do. He can take you from being a person who doesn't know what they believe to knowing who they believe in, but more so who believes in me and his name is Jesus he believes in you and he does have a plan for you it's not to hurt you it's not to harm you you know and it's even not even to control you it's to give you a hope God wants to give you hope it's to give you future when you feel like I have no future it's to take your broken heart and say, I can make that whole again. And yeah, I really do believe it. Because I've lived it. I still get to live it. See, there's still days I feel like that nobody loser kid that nobody wants. That's, that still comes back. And in those moments, 
when I hear the voice of the devil whisper in my ear, not literally, but just in my head, who are you? What are you, what are you doing here? I now have the ability to speak back and say, no, who are you and what are you doing here? I know who I am. I know I'm forgiven. I know I'm redeemed. I know I'm loved. I know I have a purpose. I know I have a point. I know who's putting breath in my lungs and why I'm here. Do you? Can you say that? What you believe matters. What you believe informs how you behave, what you behold, what you become, but most of all, where you'll end up. Will you end up or down? You can know. It's not complicated. You can know. Thank you so much for spending some time with us. We hope this message spoke to you and helped you grow in your knowledge of and love for God. Visit us online anytime at EncounterThrive.com and reach out with questions, prayer requests, or comments. We hope to see you for our in-person services in Lockport, Illinois, Sundays at 10. Take